0: That's slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member supported food radio network.
3: Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and the director of the new Japanese culinary academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my co cool guests. And my guest is Maiko Kyogoku, who is a second-generation Japanese-American and the owner of Besso, a unique and super charming Japanese restaurant in Noho. Maiko was born and raised in New York and worked for the contemporary artist Takashi Murakami as project manager. So She was responsible for managing Murakami's collaborations with Kanye West and Louis Vuitton. So today we'll talk about Michael's drastic heritage change, how she interprets Japanese cuisine as a second-generation American, Japanese regional cuisine, and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher's podcast. Please go to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe to Japan Eats. Also, if you have ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japaneats at heritageradionetwork.org. And finally, many of you have asked where to dine in Japan, so I created a list of our recommendations on our website. Please go to Japanese page on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and the link is at the end of the show description. Or you can go directly go to HeritageRadioNetwork.org/where-to-dine-in-Japan. That is on uh, HeritageRadioNetwork.org/and-where-to-go-where-to-dine-in-Japan, uh, all connected by hyphens. Now, let's start a conversation with Michael Kyogoku. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Japanese. Thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, you were born and raised in New York, uh, a quintessential New Yorker. And so, where did you grow up in New York and what did you eat when you grew up? So,
4: I grew up on the Upper West Side in New York, and my parents uh, owned a Japanese restaurant, and my mother was a wonderful cook. She made a lot of Japanese home cooking, different dishes all the time. So I was exposed to a lot of Japanese food at home, but um, also ate all different kinds of foods. Just being in New York, like everything from hot dogs to pizza to Indian <laughs> food. Um, so I grew up eating
3: a whole variety of different cuisines. Mm, this sounds very New York. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, your father owned a sushi restaurant. And uh, it was Ricky. So, um, did you think of opening your own restaurant when you grew up?
4: I think I was very. Um, I wanted nothing to do with the restaurant business at first. <laughs> I knew how hard it was. Um, mm-hmm. My, you know, I never saw my father when I was when I was going to sleep. He was still at work, and when I was, you know, going to school, he was sleeping and. You know, even he himself was was always like, "It's not a an industry for girls." So mm. you know, it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of manual labor. Um, so initially, I didn't um, want to be part of the restaurant world.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, and you have a very unique uh, career path. So, as I said at the beginning of the show, you worked as project manager for the contemporary artist Takashi Murakami at Kaikai Kai Kiki. And you were responsible for managing his collaborations with Kanye West and Louis Vuitton. So, what did you learn from the job?
4: You know, I learned about how hardworking Japanese people are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I consider myself a hard worker as well. But you know, the um, I was really I felt like that job really tested my emotional, physical, and um, mental limits as a person. Um, And the People I worked with were so inspiring. They were very, you know, dedicated and determined, um, and really kind of loyal to the company. And I learned about just um, kind of the grit that and determination that's that's needed in.
3: Um, achieving something. Mm -hmm. its really inspiring. Interesting. So that reminds me of, you know, the famous lifetime employment and still, I think people say lifetime employment is kind of disappearing but I think by nature, people assume you keep working for the company unless you do something crazy bad where you decide to quit. (laughs) So is that kind of a corporate culture that you had? I I don't know if, you know, I think that um, everyone
4: who worked there was really passionate and I think that yeah, there was a little bit of that for sure. Um, he has a studio in Japan as well as New York, and I was working out, out of the New York office but traveled back and forth um, quite often. But there was definitely that kind of life lifer mentality for some people, mm-hmm. but um, just kind of this um, almost blind loyalty to the company was really like, you know, it um, really resonated with everybody, and I learned a lot about just kind of putting the group first or putting the company
3: first. um, Mm. That was a big lesson I learned. So your colleagues are mostly Japanese people?
4: A lot of Japanese people, but um, in the New York office, a lot of the people who made the artwork were non-Japanese Americans. Mm. Um, And that kind of work philosophy really were was instilled in them as well so you mm. know it i guess it's not just japanese people but right. that kind of work culture was um
3: a big part of that interesting right so it's a collaboration that kind of uh, the dedication collaboration <laughs> right okay um so and also I, I think there's an interview i read about that uh, you um you, th- you said uh you shared your own love for japanese culture with uh, that's mr. Murakami true.
4: yes so you know one of the things i was really kind of inspired by and admired about mr murakami is that he really wanted to share um his love of japanese art and technique and culture through his works mm-hmm. and even in his work culture i think that you know the mentality of being Japanese or what he believed is Japanese mm. was an important aspect of creating Kaikai Kai Kiki, his company. And um, it really influenced the way that I, you know, run my own business or think about, um, you know, how I would present myself as a Japanese person or even just in opening besso. you mm. know, what kind of... Um, japanese culture i want to share with others
3: yeah actually i've been to one of his um exhibitions and he promotes other japanese artists too so Mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, right extended love for (laughs) japanese culture right so but what made it change your career to open a japanese restaurant
4: well i think that you know after i had i i mean even in college i was i was always interested in cooking and food um you know, in when I was eighteen, I lost my mother, and I think that um, cooking was a big part of remembering her, but also just you know not wanting to forget the dishes I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And so I cooked a lot in college after college, and my first job um, was in publishing. but something really drew me to restaurants. I don't know if it was just having seen
1: mm-hmm.
4: you know my dad like. Even though I didn't really help out at the restaurant that much when I was younger, I would always be there for street fairs. And, you know, there's an annual Columbus Street Festival. Mm. My sister and I would put um, our aprons on and help <laughs> sell, like, their <laughs> last rolls of sushi or something. And, mm. you know, I really loved the energy of a restaurant. And so in publishing, when I was, you know, on the weekends, I would... Um, stage at a restaurant in Midtown. It was a Japanese restaurant called Naniwa that's still mm, there. Right, um, and I really fell in love. Like it, and then after I left Kai Kai Kiki, I went um, to Momoya and worked there. And mm-hmm. um, I had been a hostess for them in college, but I became a manager and. That was kind of the beginning of working in hospitality full-time.
3: Mm. Okay. So, not just because it's Japanese, it's more like the restaurant business culture that you liked.
4: Yeah, I think it was a combination of just loving the excitement and energy of a restaurant. And I always think that, you know, restaurants are such a magical place. It's like where... I mean, it's partly where I grew up because mm. I, my family is a restaurant family, but... It's where you create memories. It's where you share ideas. You know, mm-hmm. spend time with loved ones, and um, I always, I was always enamored with creating that space. You right. know, or just seeing that, like a restaurant come alive.
3: Mm, um, right. It's to me. It's, it's almost like a theater. Right? It is, and you never know what happens and what kind of ingredients, what kind of requests you get, and what kind of problems you have. At, so- um, at.
4: Barbelude. when I was working for Danielle like one of my bosses was always like mm. get ready it's showtime it's mm. like you know it is like the start of a theater.
3: Hey, so. I just got a book goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> That's very really great. Okay um, so um, you I heard that you helped uh, Ivan Okin to open his first ramen shop in New York uh, who actually came to a show on episode 16. So what kind of job did you have then and uh, what did you learn from the job?
4: So I guess after you know after my time at Kaikai Kai Kiki and also working at different restaurants, I I did start having this feeling like I want to open my own business. Um, you know, growing up in a restaurant family, my parents were big supporters of like the entrepreneurial spirit and um, just following your dreams and being passionate about that. So mm. I started feeling like you know, how do I get there to open a business? Like, right. what should I, what steps should I take? And I felt like I was lacking the business experience, mm-hmm. and the knowledge um, of opening a restaurant. Like, what does it take to really open a business in New York? Mm-hmm. So I um, was working at Thompson Hotels for a couple of years, but then I moved to Tungsten, which is a multidisciplinary company, mm. uh, they have different facets, but there's a, they were trying to develop a restaurant
3: mm-hmm.
1: sector
4: where they were helping chefs and restaurateurs find spaces, um, develop business plans. And mm-hmm. so I was, you know, I became... Uh, so, uh, someone who would help chefs find mm-hmm. spaces i got my broker's license and that's how i met ivan i helped him find his space
3: um, mm-hmm. on clinton street right. so your title was director of business development yes. food and beverage yes. so it really summarizes everything <laughs> right, so you must have really had a, a great experience to learn as if you opened your own place i yeah
4: i met so many people and you know was able to see the process of opening a, a restaurant kind of before anything happens, you mm. know. So, everything from forecasting, kind of financial repro- projections to what licenses are needed to open a space, what permits are needed. Um, mm. These were things that were completely unknown to me, not to mention, you know, um, negotiating leases. Mm. I mean, that's a huge part of. Of owning a business, so right. um, I was, you know, directly involved in that, and it really helped to make the next step for me mm,
3: later. Amazing! And as, as you practice, it's kind of going to school, getting being paid also. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I yeah, I, I could
4: you know you could say that. I definitely felt like. Um, I learned from seeing other people's experiences. Mm,
3: right, because I think the 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 parts of financials and licensing, everything, that's the most part people got exhausted even before opening the restaurant. So right. Great. um yeah, but I just uh, you know, you're talking about uh the entrepreneurial spirits, and I, I want to ask you more about uh, a little bit more about your dad. Your father is really kind of interesting person, <laughs> right? Can you tell us about he, that? He's
4: a, he's definitely a character. He's um, so he owned a restaurant for thirty years on the Upper West Side. Um, You know he, and he'll always be the first person to tell you about his story. Mm, Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I wish he knows you too. (laughs) But um, he's, you know, he's like a self-proclaimed, self-made man, and he um, he really was tired of the way that Japan was. Japan was when he was growing up in the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s. So after college, he moved to Spain.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, there um, was a time that, you know, after World War II, everybody's working hard to reco- um, recover from right. the whole damages and growing fast. Yes. But there was some,
4: I mean, yes, and he was part of the baby boomer generation where it's very hard to get noticed. There's so many of them, mm-hmm. you know. So he definitely felt like his opportunities lied outside of japan and Mm. so he you know through opportunities helped uh helped someone open a restaurant in madrid it was like the first japanese restaurant (laughs) (laughs) and then it was just one night a customer told him to go and uh go to new york if he really wanted an opportunity that's Mm. where you know dreams come true and he didn't have any money he just went flew to new york and then um didn't even have a place to stay, but that customer told him to go find a certain restaurant where they were, you know, he knew of the owner, and so my dad asked for a job, and then he didn't, they didn't have an opening, so they told him to go across the street, Mm. (laughs) and that's how he got his first job in New York. Oh, wow. Um, But then, it was like years, you know, a few years later, he married my mother, he had saved up enough money to maybe take out a loan and to open a place, and Mm. then, you know, the rest was history. So he has stayed in New York ever since. Wow. And now he's retired. Mm, but this classic, beautiful
3: American. Right. It's like sport. the immigrant American dream story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And so you opened Bessel in August 2016. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, let me ask. You, what was the toughest challenge in opening Bessel?
4: Uh you know, even though I had had experience seeing other people kind of struggle through the pre-construction processes, I could not have foreseen how, how challenging that actually is. Mm. Um, you know, I took over the space that used to be Bianca Restaurant on Bleecker Street. Mm. And that restaurant had been in operation for 12 years. And then there was a restaurant before that that was there for 12 years. So it was like undoing 24 years of you know (laughs) different messes like internally so Mm -hmm. um we had to basically gut the whole place even though it was an old restaurant and just start fresh
3: Mm, but you didn't expect i didn't
4: expect at all so (laughs) that was probably the biggest um challenge and then you know um it's notorious in new york but you wait for gas forever you mm-hmm. know that's like sometimes you're ready to go but there's no gas in the building for like, you. So <laughs> we had to wait for a little while for that right. so yeah
3: okay and what about finding a chef because i um i sometimes get asked uh, do you know a chef japanese chef right and there's so many problems to find a good chef in new york so i was lucky to have met emily
4: yuen who is our uh executive chef you know um when we worked together for Danielle Bouloud. And she was a sous chef there. She was the executive sous chef at DBGB in Singapore before that. Mm. And um, I always wanted to work with a female chef. I I felt like for the concept of Bessel, for the kind of person I am,
1: Mm.
4: um, and also the kind of culture I wanted to create, I thought that it was important to team up and have you know like an all-women team in Mm. terms of you know my 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 partner um so and she and i get along so well we bounce ideas off of each other all the time and it's really you know it's uh a working partnership that's also a friendship and it's really it's really wonderful
3: Mm. hey congratulations (laughs) yeah because like notoriously japanese uh Chef culture is so male dominant mm-hmm. and very harsh way sometimes.
4: I also think that for the type of restaurant I wanted to do, I think that um, you know a lot of Japanese chefs are very traditional and very kind of set in terms of how they want to m- create Japanese food. Mm-hmm. And um, you know the entire concept of Besso is very different from that. It's uh, you know uh, kind of. Finding new ways of interpreting Japanese cuisine, mm. so I needed someone who had, you know, in some ways I was looking for someone with no
3: background in Japanese cuisine, ah. so they can have a fresh perspective on right. it. So white canvas. <laughs> right. So by the way, what's the um, the, the besso? What's the, what does it mean? Besso. Besso means vacation home or uh,
4: getaway home means like a little retreat basically Mm. in japanese so that's a big part of you know that i wanted that feeling of of people to escape from there every day um you know i think that that's like the beauty of a restaurant in itself Mm. but yeah i wanted to create a little safe haven from right. um, the everyday mm. at Besso.
3: So it's still your house, but you don't spend all the time there. It's right. still, you're familiar, comfortable, but that's your right. getaway. Right. Right. And uh, so what's the concept of Besso? Besso is, you know, um,
4: uh, what we try to do at Besso is uh, serve Japanese home cooking with creative twists. And I think that you... See a lot of authentic flavors of Japanese cuisine, but then different interpretation of interpretations of it through um, maybe different spices or different cultures um, mm-hmm. and you know we don't feel like very tied down to specific ways of doing something mm-hmm. I guess for me um you know. I wanted to create Besso to uh, initially really just to share my family's home recipes with other people. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, in a city full of Japanese restaurants, you never really see uh, Japanese home cooking. You see Mm. a lot of sushi and ramen, but not really comfort food. That's true. And I really wanted to share that because... You know, for, my, for myself, I never lived in Japan. I'm really a true New Yorker in that sense. I, But I identify as Japanese as well as American. And mm-hmm. I, you know, the only way I knew Jap- being Japanese is through food. And so I really wanted to share that with others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wanted to make it approachable for people so that um, they didn't feel like, it was so foreign to them, you mm. know. The, so we, our approach was to find kind of homey dishes that that was n- couldn't be nostalgic for Japanese
3: people, but mm. maybe evoke some kind of memory for mm. non-Japanese people as well. Uh, interesting. And I think uh, what, I, as far as I heard from you now, it's there is definitely a New York mindset. It's so mm. free to incorporate something. Well, interesting. Yeah, into I think that
4: like. Uh That's the beauty of food. Like, food evolves all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, if you look at, like, ramen, it's now a Japanese food, but it used to be Chinese. Right, (laughs) yeah. You know, or... Or anything else, like a hot dog used to be German or, you know... It <laughs> and was hamburger. P- yeah, <laughs> a hamburger. Like pizza was Italian at one point, and now it's, you know, very American. Right, and Chicago pizza, <laughs> they don't have that. Exactly. <laughs> so I think Japanese food, you know, should be allowed to evolve too. So that's kind of mm. the idea behind um, what we're creating at Bessel.
3: Right. So the, maybe you can give us some examples of those... Uh, of your, those dishes? Unique, yeah.
4: Yeah, so, for example, um, we have a a short rib kakuni. Mm. So, you know, beef kakuni is something, you know, a lot of times it's made with pork belly, but you can make with other meat. And for at least for me, like it's such a comfort dish. You know, it's Mm. like my mother used to make that. My Mm. grandmother used to make kakuni. Mm.
3: and It's uh, like a braised and soy um, mirin. And it's like a, and it's like a really slowly braised, mm-hmm. melting.
4: So it's like a braised dish. But, um, you know, we update that by using a bone-in short rib. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, maybe it reminds them of a pot roast or of like, yeah, like a, a big Sunday dinner or something. Mm. But um, maybe it also evokes like a time that they don't even know about. But mm. it's just some kind of nostalgic feeling of a time they want.
3: Right. You know?
4: I mean, that's, like, a little too philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: it's, it's okay, because I think food is really pretty philosophical, mm. and you have to be like that.
4: Right, right. So, that I mean, that's just one example, but, you know, we also have, like, a grilled romaine salad that uses a goma dressing. So it's, like, a creamy sesame dressing that we make in-house. Mm. And I don't know, like, growing up, that was, like, the dressing we would put on everything. Mm. We loved it, but... Um, but we've updated it by using romaine that we just cut in half. We grill. Um, and a lot of people are reminded of a Caesar salad. Right. But then goma dressing is very Japanese. So, mm. you know, it's like that combination of different right. memories.
3: It makes sense because like the the roasted, the grilled romaine has this toastiness to go well with the sesame. So I think a culinary term, it's really making sense to... Mm-hmm. To put them together. All right. Okay, so um, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about how Michael maintains the traditional aspects of Japanese cuisine on her menu. So please stay with us.
1: Koren's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events, such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Koren is dedicated to this ideal. Bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katema and my guest today is Maiko Kyogoku, who is a second-generation uh, Japanese-American and the owner of Beso, a unique and a very charming Japanese restaurant in Noho. So, um, so you have uh, creative aspects on the menu at Beso, but um, what is authentic about the menu?
4: A lot of our base sauces and flavors are you know, based on very traditional um, pantry items in Japanese homes. We use, a lot of the sauces that we use are made by my father. He actually comes to the restaurant and prepares <laughs> some of these sauces on a weekly basis. So, mm. you know, for example, we have this tama miso, which mm. is um, an egg yolk-based miso that you have to warm and kind of constantly stir. And you stir in the sugar and the meeting and the egg yolks till it's incorporated and creamy.
3: Mm, um, I don't think it's it's common to see it even in Japan. Cause it's such a very special item.
4: It's it's so funny because growing up, that's you know what was in our refrigerator. So <laughs> okay. I never thought that that was not you know abnormal or unusual. Wow. I just thought you know
3: that's like the miso. Yeah, <laughs> mm, wow, how lucky you are. <laughs> so okay, and uh, well, I I remember when I had a dinner at the Besso and the miso soup. And I smell, oh, wow, this is like my grandmother's place. It oh. smells, it's so dashy, it's so authentic. Thank you. Yeah, I mean,
4: it's it's amazing because a lot of the, like, my, our kitchen team had no background in Japanese cuisine. Hmm. But they have a strong appreciation for it. And they, you know, work really hard to try to understand the... The origins of things, like you know, how you're, what's the proper way of making something, Mm. and then from there we, you know, maybe make some updates or changes. But the base is always very
3: authentically Japanese. I Mm. think. Well, I think uh, I respect those people outside certain culture. That objective approach actually tend to improve the original version quite a bit. Right. uh, well, and they're looking at it from
4: fresh eyes, fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's great to see, see you know, we have a... Our, our team is the same from when we opened, which yeah. is also amazing. But, um, you know, Emily and we have Evan and Veronica, the three of them, they're like, you know... And we have a new member, Chris, actually. Chris, mm. too. But, um, yeah, they're they're amazing in trying to learn all the time. Mm. Um, and then... Offering some ideas that maybe uh, a Japanese chef wouldn't think of, because mm. it's you know to them they have that flexibility because they're not tied down to tradition.
3: Right. Mm. So typically people say California rolls, but to me avocado and sushi like <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> you eat it, it makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah, and now that's like that's Japanese food mm. in America. So right. yeah. Okay, And uh, one thing I noticed about the menu is that you feature food from uh, Akita Prefecture. And Akita is really a northern part of Japan. So why is that?
4: My mother's
3: side of the family is from Akita.
4: And I, although I never lived in Japan, I would travel there every few years. And some of the food there left such a lasting impression on me. Um, it was a big part of me learning about Japanese cuisine, mm-hmm. too. And When we got home, I mean, my mother would try to teach us these regional foods all the time because she thought it was, you know, to her, and, you know, now I I have the same feelings, but food is a big part of learning about another person, another person's culture. So, Mm. you know, in order for us to, for my sister and I to kind of, Uh, honor our heritage she would try to have Mm. us try different foods all the time Mm. so um, when we went back to her parents house we would always have these
3: lavish meals (laughs) (laughs) yeah so they're waiting for you guys to come and then this is you have to remember this tradition so
4: it's like all of the regional dishes laid out on the table yeah
3: wow that's great that's great because my my mother is from tokyo And, uh, you know, my father's from the South, but I never had that kind of a strong regional Mm -hmm. mindset.
4: Well, and also from from me, because I was coming from New York, like that was kind of as... Country as I would ever get, you know, we were, there was, like, nothing around. I mean, we were eating the vegetables from my grandmother's garden, just rice patties for miles and miles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, it was really special, and I I loved it so much that, you know, kind of when we got home, like, we, um, Akita has this very famous hot pot nabe called um, Kiri Tampo Nabe. Mm. So we would bring some home and then, and then, like, try to recreate that at home.
3: Mm. So, kiritanpo is basically, maybe you could just explain, because it's such a unique dish. What is kiritanpo?
4: Kiritanpo is basically a rice, uh, a type of rice dumpling that's in a tube form. It has a hole in the middle. Mm. Um, and kiritanpo nabe is a hot pot that uses this rice... Um, dumpling and then you add chicken and it's like
3: a chicken and rice dumplings too mm-hmm. um, okay yeah the isn't the key dump, but basically the rice is used to be originally you know it was um, stuck to uh, the wood sticks mm-hmm. and then you cooked yes right around the fire so um, yeah
4: I mean they you I I mean I'm not sure if there was like a, uh, a reason that they did this maybe it was just like the the leftover rice or something mm. uh, but you i well actually i know that you know akita is very cold so mm. kiritanpo is usually um, frozen or it's kind of like you have to dry it mm. you know by by uh, grilling it and right. it keeps for a very long time mm. so that must be one of the reasons right. it's kind they of it used
3: to be emergency food as right, well
4: right right so yeah um, at home like because we don't have a, uh, like, a hearth, mm-hmm. you know. We, <laughs> we would make, a, like, a more casual version called damakonabe, which mm. is basically rice balls. So, and then you grill it in the oven. Mm.
3: So it
4: would be, like, similar taste. Right. But the, the rice dumplings were in
3: different shapes. Mm. Okay. And uh, so... Um what what else uh, like a uh, typical other Akita regional cuisine maybe you can give some mm. other examples
4: I think I mean there were a lot of like ingredients that I would, had never seen before, like uh like junsai, which is like
3: uh mm. like a oh forest green I guess that is well, that, is that it's, what it's, it is? A, it's from I, like the pond yeah it's this, it's <laughs> a, it. it's really hard to explain, but it's just <laughs> kind of a uh, you know jelly. Coated plant. Yeah, I, I don't
4: even know where it comes from, because well, it was always in a jar. Yeah, it when
3: comes it... from actually, it's like, um, I think Brasenia. Mm. It's like uh, floats in a clean lake or okay. a pond. And then there's a specific uh, boat you handpick. pick oh my gosh yeah it's like uh, it's kind of pretty jelly and interesting texture i mean that ju-
4: it blew my mind when i would eat that like my grandmother would serve that with a little bit of grated radish and mm. soy sauce and you put that on rice and it's just it was so good but you'll never find that yeah here. i think it's
3: only specified yeah. in specialized in akita like 90 okay. percent comes from uh uh, the junsei comes from Akita. Oh, okay. Like, so.
4: Yeah, I mean, so I had that, and they have um, something called iburigakko, which is like smoked takuan, um, which is pickled daikon. Mm. Um, so... These are also things
3: that I would love to incorporate a vessel. So. Oh. Actually, I looked up the whites called, why it's, uh, it's ibri it's smoked, and then said, you know, because it's so snowy and it's not sunny enough, you can't um, dry all those pickled um, items. It oh, doesn't get dried because it's moldy, right? So they had to smoke and then, um, you know, uh, just the salt. Okay, and uh, well,
4: it's delicious,
3: <laughs> right? So it's just another step but to right. make it tastier, right? Right, and you have a uh, udon, right? Inanu udon.
4: We do, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Inanu udon is is regional Takita, and it's like a silkier, thinner udon than like sanuki or you know other types. But um that is a. Uh, a food that is very symbolic of Akita, mm-hmm. and we actually
3: have that on our menu. Right, I think people say that's uh, one of the three uh, most famous udon dishes. Mm-hmm. They, they compete uh, be- between regions, right? Like Sanki is number one, Inaniwa is number one. Yeah, so that's really a mass dish that you mm-hmm. have to eat at uh, Besau. I would say Inaniwa is number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have to kind of agree, but you know, it's competitive. Um, so uh so when you left Kaikai Kiki in two thousand nine, um you didn't have any previous food service experience, but um well, at this point, uh you've been open uh the restaurant for seven months mm-hmm. so how i mean what did you want to achieve in the first place? You know, it's like of course you serve a nice Japanese um food in a very relaxing place but mm-hmm. um you know, I wanted to open. A restaurant and open beso
4: because i think it's important to share japanese culture um with others i mean for me growing up bicultural japanese american i've always felt like an ambassador to japanese culture to mm. to my friends to those who don't know japanese culture mm. i I grew up always being the one of the only Japanese people in my whole school. Mm, <laughs> upper West Side, right? <laughs> right exactly. Right. So you know, I'm always I was always the person with the answer, even though I had never lived there before. <laughs> you can make up answers, <laughs> right? So, um, but then you kind of become that because you're all you are always that person, mm. you know. And I thought I felt like you know I think my parents um, really instilled their love and pride of Japanese culture in me. And I, I really want to share that kind of the, the um, potential of Japanese food with others. You Mm. know, I think um, there's so many different types of, of Japanese dishes that are still unknown in America. And, Mm. you know, I, this is only a small part of it, but I wanted to share
3: some of the, the comfort foods and home cooking mm. so it's your plan you're going to start introducing some other different kind of regional cuisine
4: um well i think yeah i think in the future i would love to i mean right now we are we are incorporating more dishes we're working on a, a you know kamo nambang soba like mm-hmm. um we're going to be we're actually working on uh not um, kind of being inspired by junsai doing Mm. like uh, vegetables in a (laughs) jillet and adding that to a vegetarian soba dish. So Mm. it's like things like that that, you know, we're just we're just playing around. But, you know, I think the inspiration comes from Mm. these Japanese dishes you won't find here.
3: Right. Yeah. First time I saw the menu at the Besso, it's really I was so pleased to see regional Within, which I don't think I understood very well yet in this country because izakaya is a category, ramen is a category, and right. sushi, of course, is a category, but there's so many different variations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I,
4: I mean, I don't want to claim to be an expert, but I, I think that the way that I learned about Japanese culture was through food. And so if I can share just even a little bit of that with other people, I think that, you know. I hope I'm able to
3: do that. Mm, <laughs> nice. Okay. And uh, by the way, who comes to BESO? What, what are your customer demographics?
4: Mm, um, there's a good mix of different types of people. We have, you know, people from the fashion world, people from the art world. Um, That's from your
3: background, I guess.
4: I think so. I mean, you know... Um, We I mean, also, yes, I think our my background and um, I think people see the restaurant and they feel like it's somewhat different. Like the I don't know, we're in Noho and it's very like congested in other parts, but our street is kind of sleepy and it's a little bit like. A, a secret spot, right.
3: just like a w- one step
4: into <laughs>
3: this street,
4: right? right? Right. So I think when people find us, they feel like they've discovered something. Mm. That, um, you know, yeah, I can't
3: believe, like, a looking <clears throat> Bowery, like, what?
4: What yeah. is this place? So yeah, I think that that's um, you know that helps and and attract a certain type of person. Too.
3: Mm, okay. Yeah. And uh, what's the percentage of Japanese people, do you see Japanese people
4: too? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it depends. Like, a, a third of people are Japanese, I think, and mm. they um, they range. I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, East Asian customers mm. as well,
3: nice.
4: I think. Um, but Japanese customers are always very impressed by... Um, how authentic it tastes but then maybe the presentation is completely Mm -hmm. different from what
3: they would expect. I had the same impression. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a great surprise. Right. And uh, so, but you've you've been learning uh, running a best for successfully for seven months and what are you learning and discovering from the experience of finding a restaurant?
4: I am learning. uh, I really have so much respect for all those people who work every day for so many years. I mean, mm. I have a newfound respect for my father more than ever. <laughs> After, th- you know, doing this for 30 years, that's crazy.
3: Mm. <laughs> How did he do that? I'm
4: not sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very hard um, lifestyle. Mm. And to do the, do it every day, I, I have so much appreciation for my staff, my chef, who's like the smiliest chef you'll ever meet Mm. (laughs) it's very difficult to be like continue to be so upbeat and you know she's she provides a really positive environment so Mm. but um but yeah i'm learning just um how to be grounded every day and to this routine is is um challenging sometimes i've always done this i've been in hospitality for you know 10 years now and but it's different when you own, mm. own a business. Right. It's like a lot more at stake, a lot more responsibilities. Mm. <laughs>
3: but your eyes are sparkling, and it sounds like you found the right place to be. Thank you. <laughs> right. And I heard you had uh, some collaboration with that people, such as uh, Mickalene Thomas, was a very famous artist.
4: Yes. Yeah, so uh, just recently, Mickalene did a, a collaborative dinner with us where we took some of her um, home cooking kind of ho- dishes she prepares at home. Right, but for she has
3: it. nothing to do with Japanese
4: cuisine as no. a right? Right. She's not even, I mean, she's not uh, a professional chef or anything, mm. but she does love, you know, food and cooking and entertaining. Mm. And she does love Japanese food and um i wanted to i want to do these types of dinners where different worlds come together mm. and you create something new right. that was uh it was i mean it was so wonderful to see how her ideas and our dishes kind of came together and we created this whole different
3: dish mm. uh, I like what kind of
4: <laughs> we did like a lamb tsukune meatballs Mm. um, on bamboo skewers that had um, crushed pistachio nuts and some wild cherries. That was like inspired by uh, a lamb meatball dish she often makes at home. Mm. And pistachio lamb. Yeah. And then uh, we did a duck curry nambang that is now kind of, you know, we've taken that dish and we're Developing it some more to incorporate it into wow. our spring menu. But mm. um, she has, her family is um, of Caribbean heritage. So there was like some incorporation of Caribbean spices. And that's where the curry mm. came
3: from. Right. So, yeah. Interesting. So it sounds like uh, Beso is a place to bridge <laughs> the two Japanese and other cultures. I, I hope that it becomes like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, wonderful. So congratulations. Thank you. All right, so um, well, thank you for joining us today. And, uh, well, listeners, if you'd like to know more about Michael's restaurant, please go to beso.nyc, uh, NYC, Besso dot That is B E S S O U dot Okay, and if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at Japan Needs at heritage dot org. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher podcast. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And today's show was made possible by Corinne and our engineer David Tatasiore. David, David, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week.